Thank you, Rama, for that video, putting all those pictures together. Isn't that awesome? Great, great, great. God is good. And uh, I'm glad Michelle was here to experience that. It's good to see Michelle and the kids. We have missed you guys. And so we announced uh, while we were at Pokagon that uh, we actually have extended Tom's sabbatical a little longer to give him some more time. But it's good to see that Michelle and the boys are here. So welcome home. And we've missed you dearly. So God bless you. Well, Lynn was supposed to share this morning. So uh, it was kind of last minute. So yesterday I began to seek the Lord last minute, and I really feel like the Lord has given me something to share with us today. Kind of all, all this ties together. God is changing our community. God is pulling us together. I love the song that Rama used, Friends for a Lifetime. You know, God is developing community here, and he's taking us as we go through this sabbatical season. He is actually doing a work to knit our hearts together in oneness. Can I have an amen on that? And I feel it, and I just want to encourage us to continue to go towards one another. And I say, put all the, the dissonance and all the, the conflict that you may have in any relationship, whether it's within your own family or this church family, and allow the forgiveness and the reconciliation of the Lord to come so that we can be the body of Christ he wants us to be. Can I have an amen on that? Yeah, yeah it's good. Well, I'm going to jump right into the message um, the title of the message is, um, we, we change culture or culture changes us. We change culture or culture changes us. And I'm going to, it's, it's, it's based out of John chapter four, uh, that we read this week. And so la this week that was part of our reading as a church, as we're reading the Bible together. And John the Apostle is unveiling Jesus Christ. And as Jesus is being brought on the scene, Jesus begins to change culture by confronting what people believed. And so that's what we are as well. We are culture changers. Do you guys realize that? That we are salt and we are light into the world. And we are to bring the presence of God and we're to bring his kingdom and his truths to the earth. Can I have an amen? amen? Don't be quiet with me today. I need your participation. And so Jesus began to shift and he began to change the culture in John chapter 4 as he began to confront what they believed. And so we're going to dive into five things that Jesus began to change the culture with by changing what they believed. And so you're going to have an opportunity to write down five things today if you're taking notes. If you have your Bible or your digital Bible, go to John chapter 4. We're going to read a lot of John chapter 4, but I want you to begin to kind of, as I read this scripture, I want you to begin to look and maybe, point, maybe begin to see what gets highlighted to you as to what Jesus does to begin to change the culture by changing what they believe. He begins, to, he begins to show himself and his truth. And as we as Christians, we need to as well change our culture or our culture will change us. So Father, I ask your blessing upon the reading of your word out of John chapter 4 as we read quite a few verses. Father, I pray that God, you would give us wisdom to hear how you're speaking to us individually. Individually, as you want us to change this culture, 
by changing what the culture believes and to be a voice in the desert, preparing a way for people to come to know you. So, Father, we thank you for your presence and your anointing on this word right now, God. I thank you for changing what we believe even today and help us to be a voice in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Okay, so in John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're, we're going to read quite a bit here, and I'm going to begin to then highlight the five things that the Lord spoke to me as we look at this scripture. So now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. <laughs> in other words, Jesus was changing the culture and he was becoming influential in the culture, right? And the Pharisees did not like that. And then he says, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. So Jesus was having his disciples baptize people as they were coming to believe. So he left Judea and went back more, once more to Galilee. So he's down in Judea in the Jerusalem area, and now he's going to go back to Galilee, which is about 65 miles, and he is going to go back north. And so now he had to go through Samaria, and Samaria was about 25 miles north of Jerusalem. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, if we remember the story in, in the Old Testament, Jacob uh, had 12 sons. They were the 12 tribes of, uh, of Israel. And Jacob had given part of a plot to Joseph. And jo Jacob had dug a well there. And it was a very famous well in a very dry area where people came all the time to this well. And so Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan, and what I will say, if it's about noon and he had walked all day, he'd walked quite a bit, quite a ways by noon. <laughs> and he's tired, and he's getting a drink. So when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had already gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the swell and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We sang about that living water this morning. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. As a matter of fact, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now 
you now have is, your, is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worship the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and he who come, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Basically, she's saying, I don't understand what you're saying, but I know when Jesus, or when Messiah comes, then, then he'll explain this stuff that you're talking about. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? So they, asked, they didn't ask, what does the woman want? And they didn't ask, why are you talking to her, Jesus? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing of. Then he, his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad. Thus, the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their, of their labor. Excuse me. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him at this well, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. He changed what they believed. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Praise God for the reading of his amazing word. Mm. God is good. So Jesus changed the culture. He began changing the culture here by changing what they believed. And so these five areas, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into five areas of how Jesus changed the culture by changing what they believed. And we see some of the changes that started right away in this chapter. Some of the change would come later as Jesus was making these declarations and these truths. So in the first one we're going to look at, if you are taking notes, you feel free to put this down. Jesus changes their views of the Samaritans. And so I want to kind of cover what did the disciples think of Samaritans and what did the Samaritans think of themselves. So Jesus actually is treating a Samaritan woman differently than the Jews treated the Samaritans in this chapter 4. 
She did. She said, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for water? And so Jesus does, don't, doesn't associate, or excuse me, Jews. She said, Jews don't associate with us Samaritans. And so who were the Samaritans? And so I want to give you a little brief history about who the uh, Samaritans were so that you have context of what Jesus was trying to change in their believing so that he could actually change the culture and what was going on and what he wanted his disciples to do. So who are the Samaritans? So they were considered, the Samaritans were considered half-breeds. Everybody say half-breeds. They were half-Jew and they were half-Gentile. Now how did that happen? Why were they half Jew and why were they half Gentile? So in 721 BC, so 721 years before Christ, you guys with me? The king of Assyria came and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And the 10 tribes of, 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 of uh, the, so we have Jacob's 12 tribes and the two, the, the whole Israel had divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel, and it, it, it housed ten tribes of Israel. The southern kingdom was the kingdom of Judah. It was uh, only two tribes. And so Israel had divided into two kingdoms, and the northern kingdom in 721, it actually gets conquered by Assyria. Okay, so when it gets conquered at that time, Samaria is the capital or the biggest city in that area of the northern kingdom, and Assyria takes all, not all, a lot of Jews, and they put them in slavery, and they basically use them as labor, and they take many of them away to Assyria, and some of them stay in that, in, in that area. And so the Samaritans were the ones that stayed in the, in the region, and they intermarried with the people of Assyria and the people that Assyria brought to that region. So that's why the Jews considered them half-breeds, because they had intermarried. Now, what was one of the Old Testament covenants that God asked of the people of Israel? Do you remember what he asked them to not do whenever they took over the cities? He said, do not intermarry with them, because you will begin to worship their gods. Right? And so the Jews took that law and they thought, you know, and that's why they divided themselves from the Samaritans and did not classify them as real Jews because they had intermarried with that because this bondage took, well, this took place a long time when Assyria, the king of Syria, took over. And it wasn't like it was just a short period of time. So they intermarried at this time. And so that's why the Jews looked at them as if they were half-breed. They weren't to be associated with. They separated themselves from them. So that's why we have this situation. And Samaria, again, is only 25 miles north of Jerusalem. We're not talking that we're all the way across the country here. So you guys see why they despised the Samaritans, okay? But now Jesus is coming in on the scene, and he's wanting to change their perspective. He's wanting to change culture by changing what they believe about the Samaritans. And Jesus begins to treat the Samaritans differently. So what do you think his disciples thought? What do you think this woman at the well thought? You're actually talking to me and asking me for water? Because that Jews didn't do that, and Jesus was a Jew. So you got me on that? You're with me? So 
One thing that you need to know about the Samaritans also, as he was changing the way they believed, the Samaritans actually read the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, just like the Jews did. Now, they didn't accept, the Samaritans did not accept the prophets, the minor prophets. They they only stuck with the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote. And they had their own mountain that they worshipped on. They had the mountain of Gerizim, okay? And so where they would go to worship God was up on this mountain, which is where they're at here. They're close to this mountain when he meets this woman at the well. I'm giving you a lot of context here because it helps to paint the picture of how Jesus was changing the culture. Now, the Samaritans wanted to help rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, and guess what the Jews did? They would not let them. Because why? They were half-breeds. So they made their own temple on Mount Gerizim, and they would sacrifice animals on Mount Gerizim, and they actually believed that Mount Gerizim, the Samaritans did, they actually believed that the Mount of Gerizim was the place that they were supposed to worship God, because that was, if you go back into history in Deuteronomy, I could take you there, but for the sake of time, I'm going to tell you about it, but in Deuteronomy, God comes to Moses and he says, when you go into the promised land, he said, I want you to declare these promises over my people at the mountain of Gerizim. And, on the, on, and at the mountain of Gerizim, I want you to declare the blessings. And on the mount of Ebo, was it? I can't, I can't remember now. But there, you can see the two mountains and there's a valley between them. And on the other side was another mountain and you're to declare the curses over the people if they don't follow God. And so the Samaritans actually believed this mountain was sacred. Abraham built an altar there. Jacob built an altar there. So there's a lot of spiritual significance to the people of the Samaritans and to the Jew about this area. And so now we read in here. So Jesus is trying to change her view and the disciples' view in this situation about who the Samaritans were. Who the Samaritans were. Now, she says to Jesus, our ancestors worship on this mountain, the mountain of Gerizim. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She was talking about this mountain of Gerizim from Deuteronomy. And so Jesus, the Samaritans, as I said, wanted to help rebuild the temple. I got ahead of myself. But what Jesus is beginning to do is he's beginning to change the view of the Samaritans in the heart of the disciples, but in the heart of this woman as well. Because Jesus' heart for the Samaritan was not rejection, was not half-breed, but Jesus' perspective was, I love the Samaritans. They are special to me. The Spirit of God is coming to the Samaritans. The kingdom of God is at hand, and Jesus was in the process of bringing the kingdom of God to the Samaritans with this visit. And what would really shock his disciples is that Jesus would actually spend a couple days with them, even though they had rejected him earlier in Luke 17, when the Samaritan leper actually got healed, but the city had rejected Jesus at that time. And so here Jesus is, even though he'd been rejected, he's actually here and wanting to bring a a change in his 
in how they see him. So that's the first thing. I'm not going to spend any more time there. Jesus changes their view of the Samaritan. And as he changes the view of the Samaritans in the disciples' heart and in her heart, it changes their behavior. Actually, it begins to change the culture between the Jew and Samaritans. The second thing that Jesus does, Jesus changes her identity, her view of his identity. He begins to say, I am the living water. He says, I am all-knowing. You have five hu- you've had five husbands, and the one you're with is not. He says, I am, the, she, I am the Messiah, the Christ. They say, I am the Savior of the world. So the second thing that, that Jesus is doing is he's changing what their view of him was, and he was beginning to show them his true identity. What did, they, what did she say he was? You are a prophet, right? Now she's saying what? You are the Messiah, the Christ. You are a good teacher. What is, and he's changing what they believe about him. No, no, you are now the Savior of the world. Jesus changes their perspective by changing what they believed about him and his identity. That's the second thing. I'm going to run through these pretty quick. How are we doing for time? Okay, number three, Jesus changes her view of worship. Worship is not on Mount Gerizim. Worship is not at Jerusalem. Worship is not at a temple, but worship is actually changing, and worship is now becoming a place inside of you. Jesus said to her, the water I give them will become inside them a spring of living water welling up inside to eternal life. So Jesus was now changing her perspective and even the disciples' perspective that worship was not at a place, but that worship was going to change and worship was going to be from an inside as Jesus was coming inside and putting himself inside of them. They were becoming living water and out of that living water, worship would come in spirit and in truth and worship would no longer be just, I have to go to a location. You guys got it? So that's the third thing that Jesus did. He changes her view of worship. So Jesus is now changing culture by changing what they believe about worship. Now, this would take several years before they would get it. But again, truth is, uh, is like water. It takes a little time to soak in. And Jesus is changing what they believe and this type of worship And what we now experience, you should not just be worshiping God in this temple on Sunday morning, right? But no, worship is a place in my heart that I can do everywhere I go. In my morning when I wake up and I I get up, I begin to raise a hallelujah in my heart and I begin to worship God because he is in me. The temple is now here rather than here in this building. And so he was changing the perspective of worship, and he was changing the culture. Because all of these things apply to us. When I think of the the changing worship, and I think of the changing of who he is, we all need a great perspective of the identity of Christ. And I talked about that two weeks ago, didn't I, when I talked about how Jesus is God. And our identity and our value or, our, or how we see him, it changes how we behave and how we, how, we, how we behave. 
So the fourth thing that Jesus did, we're getting these pretty quick, Jesus changes their view on women. <laughs> you women livers, you better be thankful that Jesus loves you, amen? He really radically changed their view of women, because I promise you the view of women is not what we have today. Can we say amen on that? They would cover their heads. They could not talk to a male. They actually were servants. They actually had no rights. Women in the Jewish culture, it was not what we have today because Jesus changed that culture. Girls, can we say thank you, Jesus? And so Jesus is confronting what they believe. And what did it say? Both her and the disciples were amazed at a Jewish man was speaking to a woman. Not only a Samaritan, but a woman. Because that's exactly what they said. And so Jesus, in verse 27, he changes their view of women. And no longer was a woman to be property, but he was bringing women into equality and value is what he was doing. He was speaking to the woman, showing his value. But the guys were a little surprised when they brought the food back. Why is he talking to a woman? Changing the culture by changing what they believed. Aren't you glad Jesus treats us differently than the religious culture? Mm, I am too. So he changes the view on women. Not, I could go more, but I've got so much other stuff I want to get to. Number five, Jesus changes disciples' view of the lost. What does he say right there? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus was trying to show his disciples that the Samaritan people were a ripe harvest field. They were not to be despised. They were not to be rejected. But that the gospel of Jesus Christ was coming to the Samaritan people. And he was saying to his disciples, guys, your eyes have been closed to the Samaritans. He said, but open your eyes and look. The harvest is plentiful. And he was changing how the disciples seen them. And seeing them, not only the, the fact that they were Samaritans, but that the kingdom of God could actually come to them as well. And we know the story in the New Testament of how Paul and Peter bring the gospel to the Gentiles and the surrounding regions. We know the command that Jesus made, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know the command, he said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world and preach and proclaim the gospel. That would not happen till later, but he was beginning to change the culture and put in the heart of the disciples disciples a love for the lost that did not look like them and what about us the lost in our community don't look like us they may struggle with different things that we struggle with they may believe different things but if we as the people of God we have to follow the pattern of Jesus when we look at the lost we have a responsibility to see the lost the way Jesus sees the lost they are ripe unto harvest. People are hungry in our community. People want to know Jesus Christ in our community. But the disciples were blind at the time. 
and he was changing what they seen. I believe God wants us at New Covenant to change how we see the lost. We're not there going to, to criticize their behavior. We're going there to bring the kingdom of heaven. We're, go, we're there to bring the kingdom of heaven to them and say, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants you. Jesus is running after you. Just as what the prophetic word was this morning. Are you glad Jesus is running after you? Because I tell you what, I've ran a few times. Anybody else ran in this house? When we look at the lost, if you start with their problems, if you start with their alcohol, if you start with their drugs, if you start with their witchcraft, if you start with their hang-ups, you will criticize them and they will want nothing to do with you. But if you see them through the eyes of Jesus that I love this people, I want this people, the kingdom of heaven is coming to them, I tell you what, we will win many to Jesus Christ. Because they already know what they're doing is wrong. They already know their life's jacked up. You don't have to tell them their life's jacked up and that you need to get rid of this. I promise you, when Holy Spirit comes in and convicts you of sin, and he comes in and Jesus begins to make residence inside of your heart, and the very seed of Christ comes into you, you will not continue to sin. The Spirit of God will begin to drive that stuff out of you. It doesn't happen as quick as we would like to see it, right? Sometimes it happens very quick. But our job is to do what Jesus did, begin to change our view and to see that the Samaritans in that city, they were ripe for harvest. Newcastle in this region is ripe unto harvest. Everybody say, ripe for harvest. The people in my neighborhood are ripe for harvest. They want Jesus. Jesus is dealing with them. And I need to be a voice. We change culture, or culture changes us. We can bring the truth of the gospel and change what they believe by bringing Jesus to them. If we don't do that, culture will change us. Are you with me? Allow the Spirit of God to convict you. So those are five changes that Jesus made out of, jo out of John chapter 4, and there's probably more. Those are just the five that the Lord put on my heart. And the good news, as Jesus changed what they believed, the culture changed, and many Samaritans believe in Jesus as the Christ and become followers. And this is what it says. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Many, not all. Everybody say many. many. Not all are going to receive Jesus. But there are those who are ready for harvest. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. So we as Christians are to be culture changers, culture shifters like Jesus Jesus begins changing the culture by changing what they believe. Now, I can't force anyone to believe anything, can we? We as people, we as Christians, we can only declare the truth of God's word. We can declare what God's word says, and people will either receive that truth or what? Reject it. But we have to be people who declare and change culture. We must become good at declaring the truth of who Jesus is and what the truth of the, script, what the, truth of the scriptures teach. 
We must be a voice in our culture of truth on many social issues <laughs> that we face in America. I'm going to say it again. We must become a voice in our culture of truth on many social issues that we are facing in America. Because America, the culture of America, is quickly changing. Do you agree with me? The culture of America is accepting things now that are contrary to the word of God. And my friends, it's because the church has got to raise up and be a voice at our work, be a voice at our school, be a voice in our families, be a voice in the, this land. We have got to be a voice. Either we change culture by helping the people in this community know what God's truth is, or the culture will change us. The church will continue to get watered down and compromise. And the world is trying to change our culture. Would you agree? The world is trying to change our culture. Do you agree? They're trying to get us to believe differently. They're trying to get us, oh, you guys are just too old school. You know, you guys are just too critical and judgmental. And there is some critical and judgmental. I want to do it like Jesus did. I don't want to do it through criticalness and judgmentalness. I want to do it through the gospel. I want to do it through the good news. I want to help, help them to see Jesus for who he really is. I want to represent him well, right? That's what we want to represent him well. In love, compassion, and mercy, right? But the world's trying to get us to believe differently about many liberal social issues right now. And our culture is shifting away from God's standards, and so are many Christians. <clears throat> and so, as I end this message, I want to bring up an issue that may offend some people, and I'm okay with that, but I love you. And I want you to love me in my viewpoint as well. But I have an issue that I want to bring up, that if we don't be a voice in changing culture like Jesus did, and being a voice of truth, being a voice of reason, our culture is going to change us. And our culture is going to continue to spiral downhill. And I'm telling you, we have a young, radical, aggressive lovers of God and young people in this house who want to see their generation saved and delivered from what is going on in our culture. And I want to see that as well. Do you guys? So I want to make you aware of an issue that is being brought to the table by our government at this very moment. With this issue, you have an opportunity to be a voice of God's truth in our culture, to change the culture, or you can be silent voice and allow the culture to change the behavior of America. We can be like Jesus and be culture shifters, or we can be silent and allow the culture to continue to go in the direction it's going. Right now, the Department of Education through the Biden administration, is currently trying to change the Title IX bill of 1972. In 1972, there was a prohibition against discrimination based upon sex in any educational program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. It's been a law that's been on the books for 50 years. It was a great law. It was actually kingdom law. 
It was actually a law to elevate women, to change what people thought about women in culture, even in our day. Women were being discriminated against in education. Women were not allowed to be doctors. Women were not allowed to get their masters. Women were not allowed special or all the, the rights that a man was allowed in education. And so our government lined up with the kingdom of God, and they actually made an anti-discrimination law that was very good to protect women, to afford women the same rights so that she could be a doctor, that she could be a nurse. That, that, that women would be given the same rights as a man in our culture because women were being discriminated against. How many believe that's a good law? I thank God that our nation made a law that lined up with the word of God. Aren't you? I am too. This bill, they are now wanting to redefine sex in this bill. In this bill, currently, the word sex means male and female, biological anatomy. But they're now wanting it to include sexual orientation and gender identity in the definition. And this is going to have severe consequences to our nation and to the mental health of America if it is passed. Hear me. It is going to have consequences 10 to 15 years from now it will radically change what we see in America. It won't change it immediately, but my friends, you hear me say it from the pulpit, it will change our culture as we know it, if it is passed. I agree that people should not be discriminated against or treated poorly for their gender orientation. I believe they are just like the Samaritans of the Bible, they should, have, they, they should not be discriminated against your sexual orientation, your preference, your attraction, whatever that is. You should not be discriminated against. Hear my heart. You should not be discriminated against. You should be loved. Just like the Samaritans should have been loved by the Jew in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They should have not been looked at half-breeds. They should not have been looked differently. We, Jesus brought a different declaration over the Samaritans, and he said, I love you, and I'm coming after you. And that is the heart of the gospel. So don't hear me say that we should discriminate because of sexual orientation or gender identity. I love, hear me, I love them. And we as a congregation love them. Can we say Amen. Jesus brought truth and Jesus loved the Samaritan and we love people struggling with their identity. We love people struggling with their sexuality. We love people in their sin. We love people who are struggling with all kinds of problems and difficulties in their life. And our goal is to help them find Jesus and to find rest for their souls in Christ. Because he is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by, by him. But if this bill is passed, my friends, you will have men and women who identify as the other sex who will, be, who will demand to be in female locker rooms, and they will demand to be in male bathrooms. This will bring chaos to men and women's sports as they are allowed to participate in the gender that they identify with. And it does not stop there. 
Because when a child now wants to identify as a cat and we put a litter box in the bathroom for them, or they want to, they want to relate and, 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 and identify as a demon, or they want to relate or identify as any other animal or thing or object, where will it stop? And so I'm not wanting to be militant. I'm not wanting to be angry. I'm wanting to bring the truth of God's word. Because if we choose our own identity versus God choosing our identity, I'm going to say that again. If we think we have the right to choose our own identity rather than God choosing our identity, this nation will fall apart. If you want to take action and allow our government officials to hear your voice on this issue, I have really made it easy for you today to do that. They're taking phone calls and they're taking information until September 12th. They're, fought, they're asking for input from the people of the United States of America. There have been over 130,000 people respond already to the website that I'm getting ready to give you. And people have asked them not to pass Title IX, the Title IX change that's coming before this bill. And because of those 130,000 people already that have made a, made a voice known, they've actually already changed two parts of the bill because of the heat that they have already received. Because our voice and the truth of God and who he is can shift and change culture. But silence will not change culture. You may be here today and you are not against this change in the bill. And I want to tell you that is fine and we are not going to judge you. We love you just as much as we love anybody else. We will not condemn you for having a different view. But if you want to take a, a stance, I mean, and you can even make a stance on the opposite. And you can actually have the right to go the same way at the website I'm giving you and you can be for it. It doesn't matter. You have every right. You have a voice. I am not trying to control people from this pulpit. I am trying to make you educated on where this culture is going. And I have a responsible as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ to say this is not the way we need to go. And the church can change which our nation does. It can change the culture just like Jesus changed the culture. We can literally change our culture by being a voice of reason, being a voice of love, and being a voice of truth. believe the church must be a voice of truth and you have one week to make your voice known next Monday the 12th you have until then to put your two cents into shifting and changing the culture we change culture or culture changes us Jesus changed culture by changing what they believed. And I'm just asking us to believe like Jesus believed. That it was he who created both male and female in the very image of God. And we need to stick to the truth of who God is. This is one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. We want liberty and justice for all. We want to love all people. But we must be a voice. Can I have an amen? So here's how you can take action. <clears throat> if you want to change culture and your voice to be heard on this issue, I have 
made copies to make it very easy for you. I have 20 here of what you see right there, and I've got 30 back there on that table. If you want to grab one before you leave, or if you want to take a picture of it, do whatever you want. You can go to this website, heritageaction.com. It's one of many. It's just the one I chose because it's so easy to navigate. I've went through so many of those, and they're hard to navigate. And so I'm not trying to say that Heritage is the best one. Just You can find whatever you want. There's plenty of ways to do it. But go on to that. Go to the bottom right of the page. Click on Stop Biden Title Nine Change. Click View Toolkit. Click Submit a Comment. And you put your comment. Here was my comment. You want to hear my comment that I put? They give you suggestions. Here's what I put. I am writing in opposition to this rule redefining sex as used in the Title IX of the Educational Amendment of 1972. For 50 years, Title IX has provided important protection and opportunities for women by prohibiting discrimination on the basis of sex. I agree with Title IX's current definition of sex as male and female. However, I disagree with the Biden administration's desire to change this definition. Most Americans disagree with this, this with the desire to change this policy, and while parents across the country are demanding the rejection of these policies, the Department of Education instead has chosen to hijack Title IX to force gender ideology on children without their parents' knowledge or approval. This proposed rule is a lawless interpretation and is a complete overreach by the Department of Education. This will have devastating consequences to our nation and to the mental health of America. We are still one nation under God. God has established the definition of sex to be only male and female as he created them. We do not get to make the choice ourselves. When a nation goes against the nature of God, his ways, his definitions of truth, and it turns to its own definitions, that nation will fall. Please don't fall to this deception and call it discrimination. It is called truth. Male and female, God created them. I beg you, do not allow this Title IX rule defining sex to be changed from its current definition. Amen. You can write whatever you want. They give you some of those. Some of that is the suggestions that they give on this website. But it is better when it comes from your own heart. But that's the way you can do it. And that is on those sheets as you leave today, you can get it. But now, I want to I want I want, I want go to the other side for a moment. I love... President Biden, I love the hell. I love the three branches of government of our nation. And number six, we have got to be doing pray, 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 pray for our nation. You think it's not going to affect you. You think you're safe in your little Corn County, Newcastle, Henry County, Indiana. You think you're safe. This is more urgent than you think. And if you're struggling with what I'm sharing and you're angry with me right now, I understand that. Please come to me and talk to me because I love, I know we have a major issue with identity in our schools and in our culture. I know there are children, there are people struggling with identity and we want to help people who are struggling in their identity. We are one of the only churches in this community that has an emotional healing department that can help walk through some of the trauma and some of the stuff that's going on in the hearts of people right now. The confusion and the fear and the panic and the anxiety is so high in our culture right now. They need truth. They need us reaching out, not, not condemning them. They need us to be a voice of help. So please, if you're here today and you're struggling or you're online and you're struggling with what I say, please let us help you. We love you. We're not condemning you. We're not judging you.
We just know that Jesus wants to reveal himself to you in a powerful way. And even if you're here today and you want prayer, we're going to bring the altar team up. We're going to put some music on and you have an opportunity to even get prayed for today. So if you would, please just stand up with me and let's just honor the Lord as we close the service. If you have questions or you struggle with anything that I've said, if you think I'm missing something, please feel free to share with me, call me, talk to me. I want to, to be as educated on this as we possibly can. And I want to be a voice in the wilderness. I want to be a voice, just like John the Baptist, of preparing a way from the, for the Lord. Because God is coming to America. God is breaking in. There is a move of God's spirit. There is people who are longing for Jesus right now. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, we will lead you to him at the end of the service. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for the ecclesia, the church. We thank you, God, for the body of Christ, even as we took communion today. Your word says that we're rightly to divide and to understand the, 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 the body of Christ, not just the body as in bread and wine, but the body as your church and the importance of the ecclesia, the church, to be a voice, to be shifting culture by helping people to believe correctly. Help us, O oh God, to be a people who reach out to our people around us in our jobs, in our schools, at Walmart, in the community, at restaurants, not to point out what is wrong about them, but to point out that you are coming after them, that you are pursuing them, that God, you are knocking on their heart, and that we are there to help be part of the solution as you are drawing a nation back to yourself. You're giving our nation even their song back as we get our song back, as we get our song of the lost, as we get our song of affecting culture, as we get our song of reaching a young generation, as we get our song of our prophetic worship. There's so many things about the song in this church, God, that we've got to get back to. And God, I pray that we would get back to being a voice crying out in the wilderness. Come and repent. Jesus is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Father, we love you and we yield our life to you. And we say, God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said... God bless you. If I could have the altar team come forward. If you're here and you need prayer, you're struggling or any, in any way, let us pray with you. Next week, we'll be seeing the Lack family. We'll be worshiping with them.